Uh, let us pray. Our Father and our God, we are grateful this morning. We thank you for your mercies that endures forever. We thank you because before the foundations of the earth, you know us. Everything that is at work in our life is at work because you are with us. We ask that this morning that you open our eyes to deeper revelations in you. We will understand our journey even better by the reason of this word. Your Holy Spirit will minister to our spirit that which is your will this morning. And we will be standing in the right place at the time, by the time we are done this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we are prayed. Amen and amen and amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Uh, Alright then, so quickly this morning. Brompuy one and TME, good to see you. Uh, like I said, I didn't know what happened. As I was just about to start, my phone just went off. I refused to come on. Uh, it just came back on now. Right, so this morning, by the grace of God, we are looking at what I've titled by the grace of God, Where Are You Standing? I'm going to be flipping a lot through scriptures this morning uh, because I wanted us to see, you know, many times uh, in our journey, people think that uh, walking with God is about either here or there. They think that decision is chiefly about good or bad, righteous or wicked. Many times we think that the, the whole thing is just about uh, uh, standing on this side or standing on that side. But the honest truth is that it is more than that. It is more than that. It is more than standing here or there. And it doesn't matter how long it is that we are engaged in what we are doing. If we are not standing where we should be standing as far as God is concerned, nothing will work as it should work. If we are not standing where we should stand, nothing will work as it should work. There was a man of God. His name is Elijah. He was a prophet. You and I know that uh, of all the prophets that the scripture recorded, uh, aside Jesus Christ, who, had, who also operated in the prophetic, um, none of them can be measured with Isaiah, I mean with um, Elijah. The Bible said he was one in these days who caused down fire from heaven. I mean, I even read an account of his. Somebody went to him and said that, Sir, the king would like to see you. He said, Okay, go and tell your king that I'll see him today. And this general or this man from the king said, Sir, I will go now and tell the king that you said you'll see him today. And I don't know whether the spirit of God, of the Lord, will just carry you from here and take you somewhere. Somewhere we cannot see you again. And the king will now say, but you said this man is coming. And then the man didn't come. And then the king will take my heads to the gallop and kill me because you have refused to show up. Even a regular officer in the army was aware of the capacities that Elijah had. That he does not respond to anything else but what the Spirit of God is doing. It was so known, not just to God, but to people, that Isaiah, I mean, sorry, uh, Elijah was one of those kind of men that everything you will see in him, everything you will hear of, of him, they are all as led by the Spirit of God. 
It means he can even change his word. He can change what he has said he was going to do. Because the moment the spirit of the living God interrupts him and tells him, son, this is where to go. He moves immediately without recourse to anyone. He moves without an explanation to anyone. He was that consistent in his walk with God. But you see this man, when the man, when he was responding to that man who had asked him to come and uh, come with, to see the king, he said, surely as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will see the king today. You know, it, it represents something that was significant, that is significant in the entire scripture. If you're a Bible student with me, if you take your uh, concordance and, and flip through the entire scripture and check that phrase, before whom I stand, you will notice that there was only one person, one other person who used that, that language. And that was not a prophet. That person was an archangel from heaven. His name is Gabriel. He was the one who came to announce Jesus to his parents. He said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. You know, it was, it was, it was, when somebody was doubting what he had to say, he said, see, he didn't even tell the person that, see, I'm, I'm assuring you this is from the Lord. He just told the person who he was. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. It means if anyone is standing in the presence of God and such person says a word to you, that word cannot fail. So Elijah was that kind of man. He obeyed God. He was yielded to God so much that his word did not fail. If he commanded a thing, that thing happened exactly the way he commanded it. And there was no recourse to it. There was no, there was not, nothing was going to stop it. He said there will be no rain and there was no rain. According to my word, he said there shall not be rain until he says something else. He didn't even say according to the word of the Lord. It meant he stayed so much in the presence of God that whatever he said as a word from him was literally a, a word from the presence of the Lord because he's standing in the presence of God. And so whatever he says is from the Lord. But you see, this is, this, uh, I'm bringing us to, uh, giving us a background on this, uh, on a particular individual and how what it is they did or they are doing has significant in, in, in impact on the future, has significant impact, transgenerational impact on the things that we uh, had to deal with somewhere else in the in the lives of the people they have been called to. You see, the matter with God, you know, especially God's preferences on every issue, has already been decided by His designs. In the design of God, most of which are listed out or, uh, or, or laid out in the scriptures, everything that God prefers has always been written there. Whether it prefers righteousness to wickedness, it is laid out there. Whether it prefers sanctification to a filthy and perverted life, it is all written there. Whether it prefers obedience above sacrifice, it has always already been written there. Whether it prefers that you live according to his purpose and not just following your own desires and your own counsel, it has all been written there. There is nothing that God prefers that has not been decided in his designs. He already spelt them out. They are all laid out. And the consequences of not going by those things are already listed out too. You see, but most things are not really decided by the preferences of God. That's the interesting part of this story. 
and that's where one of the places I'm I'm going this morning. Please stay with me. I'm I'm going somewhere. Most of the things that God has has preferred is not actually what is happening majority mostly around us, because most of the things that are happening around us are chiefly decided by our choices. God already laid out what is there. No, I've shared it before that God will be glorified regardless of whatever it is that you do. If you choose to live a righteous life, God will be glorified. If you choose to live a wicked life, God will still be glorified. Because according to his design and his word, it's been laid out in his preferences and the consequences for every choices has been laid out. It means that if you live righteously, your righteousness will produce certain results according to his word in your life and that will promote or produce the glory of God. If you don't live righteously, and your unrighteous life will also produce certain results and that will also be his glory. But you see, these choices are the things that affect our future. They affect our cultures. Whatever sleeps past you and I, whatever escapes you and I, either of them, whatever it is that escapes us, you know, and their appointed time, if it escapes your person and escapes your appointed time, it will leave deep consequences in the future for those who makes it to that future. I print it clearly. If God is trying to accomplish something in your life, and by whatever means, that thing remains unaccomplished. It is going to leave serious consequences for the future generation that is coming after you. That generation is even beyond your children. It's beyond your children's children. It speaks to beyond your family. It's going to leave choices. I mean, it's going to leave consequences behind that are terrible consequences. Because whatever it is that goes past you, or that goes past its appointed time, meaning where God has designed it to be, it did not happen in that time and in that season, there are consequences, major deep consequences to come in the future. And so I flip back to that prophet that I was talking to you about. This prophet in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, if you go to 1 Kings chapter 19, let me go there, you know, verse 1, you know, and I have told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also, how he had executed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. The Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and make and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and left the servants there. This was the man that just superintended superintended over fire coming down from heaven to consume a sacrifice that was reading and and wetted with water and fire came down and consumed the entire sacrifice without a match being lit and he commanded the execution of over 400 prophets of Baal and one woman sent a message that he is going to kill him by this time tomorrow and the man ran for his life interesting what happened to the power that was used? Okay? You see, even the mighty, even the very endowed by God, even the very empowered by God can be afraid. Even the very equipped by God 
even those who have tasted of the power of the world to come can get in the face of challenges and buckle there is no one that is immune from some of these things if someone like elijah can run some of us can we have not even experienced half of what it is that he experienced and our hearts are already skipping verse 4 but he himself went a day journey into the wilderness he left his servants in Bathsheba and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die can you imagine that he wants to die <laughs> he prays that he might die and it is enough oh, now oh lord he said take my life for i'm no better than my fathers ah, did his fathers bring down fires from heaven did his fathers did all the mighty works that god did through him did his fathers declare that rain will not fall and rain stopped falling suddenly he that was once powerful and valiant for the lord is afraid you see i said it to us you see we are quick to judge certain men and women of god when we see them do less than our expectations if only you are sitting in their office if only you sit where they are seated and you are, your shoes are where they, i mean your feet is standing where they are standing you might even be shitting in your pants because you see the things that they see standing i mean sitting if you are standing on top of a mountain sometimes you may not see those things you see he ran away he told god that god he would like to die in fact he's enough he is not better than his fathers then as he laid and slept under a broom tree suddenly an angel touched him and said to him arise and eat then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water delivered by angels <laughs> and so he ate and drank and lay down again he ate he drank and slept off again and the angel of the lord came back the second time and touched him and said arise and eat and because the journey is too great for you the journey is too great for you most times think people think that it is a physical journey that the scripture was talking about you know he had already got into his limits he had left everywhere he wasn't journeying to everywhere he ran away to hide himself where he was and the bible said that the angel said to him arise and eat you know take some strength and receive some might from me why because the journey is too great for you so he arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days one food <laughs> 40 days may some of us begin to feed from the table of heaven you know in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of god god had to bring him to his place he had to bring him to the very place that is called the mountain of god he had to change his location to somewhere that he has made the place of the sole of his feet you remember that scripture that said the heaven is god's throne and the earth is his footstool now the place of the sole of his feet meaning the part on the earth where the sole of his feet is actually resting on the earth which is this footstool was horrible the mountain of god and god had to give him he didn't even have strength to get to the place in the presence of god where he can encounter with god and so god did what he gave him strength he gave him food he gave him empowerment to come into his presence he didn't give him empowerment to go and do anything he didn't empower him to go and respond to jezebel he didn't empower him to go and you know meet the people or go and do an exploit somewhere no he fed him 
and gave him strength and might so that he might journey into his presence, his own presence, to his own mountain, the mountain of the Lord. Hooray. Hallelujah. So he arose and drank and went on the strength of that for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here? Ah, it was God who gave him the food. And now he has arrived in the presence of God and God is asking him, Oga, what exactly are you doing here? <laughs> And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. That's God is saying to him, leave this cave, go back to the mountain. Uh, don't take the shade near the mountain. Go back again to the same mountain, the top of the mountain, before the presence of the Lord, because his declaration, his pronouncement, which is from a place of knowledge and understanding, is that I am I, a Elijah, and surely as the Lord lives before whom I stand. And so if you have always been standing in front of me, return to that place where you are standing before me, and I'll speak to you. He returned to the mountain and broke the rust, you know, a great, okay, sorry. Then, the, then, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore and tore, into the mountains and broke the rock in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. These are the things that we use to give evidence that God must have called somebody. <laughs> but you see, God was not in the earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Three things. You see, first, it was the wind. Next, it was the earthquake. Next, it was fire. A, a different conversation on a different session. I will explain these three things. But you see, God was not in any of these three things. A still, small voice came from that, from that place. So it was when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his, in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance. And stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here again, Elijah? <laughs> After all of that, he still Elijah said, what exactly are you doing here? Didn't God know what he was doing there? He does. He did. He asked him deliberate question because he was looking for a specific answer from him. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, turned down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. The issue here was the rebellion of the children of Israel. It wasn't, the issue was not with just the leadership. It wasn't just an issue with Jezebel. You see that in all the questions God was asking him, he didn't even mention Jezebel. He didn't even mention the leaders that were not doing right. His case, it was, with, it was against the people of Israel himself. He said, the people themselves, he said, they have done some things. He said, they have, they, 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 they have forsaken your covenant, turned down your altars, killed your prophets, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Aziel as king over Syria. Please, I want you to note that. Anoint Aziel as king over Syria. 
also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as the prophet in your place. Someone is come to God to say that God, you know, I'm the only one serving you and nothing is working. In fact, the people that you sent me to, they're rebellious people, telling God the things God already knows. And when God asks him the same question twice, you know, God does not speak twice, really. If you hear God speak twice, it means that matter is a, a matter of urgency. It means it's a matter that is already settled. What are you doing here? Meaning, what exactly? You are not supposed to be here. I miss that, you know, Prophet Elijah, you are supposed to be standing where you stood when you killed those 400 prophets and not be here. But he said, you know what, don't worry. Just go back, you go back, go back to where you're coming from. But anoint Azil as the king of Syria, anoint Jehu as the king of Israel, and anoint Elisha as a prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Azil, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. In essence, when God was saying these things, I'm bringing us somewhere this morning so that we know where we are standing. We know where exactly we are standing, and we are not joining the bandwagon of religious people when trouble comes. When God was telling Elijah in this place, that anyone who escapes the sword of Aziel will not escape the sword of Jehu. And anyone who escaped Jehu will not escape Elisha. And the reason is because who do you think God was speaking about? Because you see, the complaint that the man of God brought to God is that the people of Israel, Israel has forsaken the covenant of God. And not only did they forget the covenant of God, they have torn down the altars of God and they have killed the prophets of God. The people that God was speaking about were not outside Dazo. The people that God was speaking about in this place were not the enemies. The people that God was speaking about in this place, they were not outsiders. They were not, you know, people that didn't know God. He was speaking about Israel. He was responding to a people who has refused him in general, who has refused him, who has refused his covenant, who has also refused his rulership over them, who has broken down all of his altars and then killed everyone that represented God. God was bringing judgment on his own people and he was going to use a trial. Now, what I want to bring to our notice in this place is that if Elijah had done the three things that God asked him to do, it would have resolved a lot of issues in his days. A lot of issues that would not have transgenerational problem eventually. A lot of issues that might have become resolved way ahead of time. Because if we go into 2 Kings from chapter 6, this is 1 Kings chapter 19. If we go to 2 Kings from chapter 6, you begin to read the story. In fact, even from 1 Kings, you begin to read the story of how the king of Syria, the present king of Syria, as at that time, which was Ben Haddad, too, Ben Haddad began to, you know, he, 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 he built a siege against the people of Israel and started afflicting the people of Israel. The prophet had the capacity, this prophet's jurisdiction was beyond Israel. He had jurisdiction over Syria. He has jurisdiction over Israel. He was to anoint a king over Syria 
and anoint a king over Israel and then anoint a prophet to replace him in the scheme of things. You see, as far as God was concerned, both Syria and Israel were all belonging in his hands. They all belonged to him. They were all part of his people. They were all part of his of of his, his, his of, of the people that he was concerned about. If you read further in those scriptures between the first first Kings all the way to Second Kings, you will even hear about the place where Ben Hadad was not feeling well. Ben Hadad was not feeling well, and Ben Hadad called on you. He heard that the prophet was coming to town, and he asked that they should please pray for him and ask whether his sickness will be healed. If you read that, you read that, you see that in the book of Second Kings. You know, Second Kings. Let me find it for you. You know, Second Kings, uh, chapter eight. You see it in Second Kings, chapter eight, verse seven. He said that Elisha went to Damascus, and Benhadad, king of Syria, was sick. But it, I, but it, uh, it was told him, saying, "The man of God had come here." And the king said to Aziel, "Take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God." This is the king of Syria. Go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him. Meaning, he wasn't just Lord to the Israelites, he was also Lord to the Syrians. This same God was Lord to the Israelites and Lord to the Syrians at the same time. You know, inquire of the Lord, saying, shall I recover from this house? It means the altar of God was also in Syria. The altar of God was also within them. They were also in allegiance to the same God of Israel. Jump with me to Second Kings in chapter 6. Jump with me in Second in Second Kings chapter six, verse Second uh, Kings in chapter six, verse twenty four. And it happened that after this, Benadad king of Syria gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. Two people that were under the control of God, two people that also had relationships with God, two different sides with with relationships with God. One was besieging the other. One was taking advantage of the other, and both of them had a relationship with God. Both leadership was hearing from the Lord. Both leadership was being led by the Lord, and one they were against each other. I mean, sometimes, you know, I don't know if we read our Bibles because you see, people think that God is a God who takes side. You know, we are in the elections this today. You know, many people think, oh, God is on uh, either Peter or this side or Tinubu or Atiku side. God does not take sides. He takes over. When he steps in the middle of a matter, he doesn't take sides. He takes over. Because he's God all by himself. He does not need your vote, my vote, to do what he wants to do. And you see, both the thief that is stealing, the robber that is coming to rob someone, and the person that is to be robbed, both of them are calling on the name of the Lord. The robber has set out to go and kill and to go and steal from someone. And he's also praying. The Yahoo boy is also seeking the face of God. He is donating to church project and seeking the blessing of God so that he also can be blessed in his work. And the people he's going to defraud are also children of God. It's amazing, these things. You know, that both, both the enemy and the ones doing wickedly and the ones doing righteously, both of them have allegiance to God. Both of them are inquiring of the Lord. The Lord is Lord to both of them. He's Lord to every one of them. So where are you standing? Where are you standing? When you are calling on the name of the Lord in any situation, where exactly are you standing? <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Where exactly are you standing? You know, I wrote in my notes, I said to him, 
wherein the Syrians, those for whom God had, was anoint, has anointed a leader through Elijah, by the same works of this great prophet, both Syria, Israel, and Syria were his jurisdiction. At the siege, two nations under the leadership of the same God are now against each other instead of supporting each other. Does that sound familiar like something that we see today? Two people from the same God. Two peoples speaking in the same the name of the same God. Two same people, I mean two people, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing whatever it is that they are doing in the name of the Lord and they are against each other. And one is laying siege against the other. You see, if you read in that second Kings, excuse me, if you read in that second Kings, you will find in there that the siege that was laid on Israel was the reason for the famine on Israel. It was so much famine that it was terrible that people were dying. And the people laying siege against them were people from the Lord. Were people that God was also God to them. You know, what side are you in? Are you, are we sure we are not on the winning sides, the Syrian side, winning at the expense of God's covenanted people? Perhaps a rod of correction to them. Are you sure you are not on that winning side, the Syrian side, that is gathering and amassing all the things that is supposed to go to the people of God because the people of God are in rebellion and as you're doing that, you are against, I mean, you are doing so, you are winning at the expense of God's people. Perhaps you have become a rod of correction to those God's people that will not listen. You have become a rod of correction to the people of God that will not obey God and so because of that, you have become have cornered have besieged the nation and that which is supposed to spread around the entire world. can you hear me now praise the name of the lord i think the line went off for a few minutes hold on i'm just trying to there's a bit of a break Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, just one second. Uh, I think the, the, the network is fluctuating this morning. Maybe it's because today is the elections. Okay, I think the, the, the network is back. Sorry, oh, I think is I think the network is fluctuating today. I don't know what is going on with uh, all this network. Today is election day. That's fine. <laughs> so please, I wish sure we're not on the winning side, winning at the expense of God's people. Or we're on the losing side, even though we have the covenant of God, you know, like it is happening in the nation right now. There's scarcity of everything, there's famine of resources, and it is because certain people have besieged the nation. They have cornered all the gold, all the silver, all the wheat, all the food, all the currencies, all the things that are supposed to be for the people. And the people that are besieging them, they are not outsiders. Because the Syrians are not outsiders to God. The Syrians also belong to God. The Syrians are also inquiring from the Lord. The Syrians are also in allegiance to the same God. And so the people besieging us also have relationship with God. In fact, they are also praying every day that they might succeed at what they are doing. They are also praying that they might prosper more than they have prospered. And their prosperity is built on the besieging of God's people. Is it possible that those of us that are going through serious challenges, 
that are in this famine, we are under this famine because of rebellion. Because we will not do the right thing. We do not want to do what God wants from us. We don't want the kind of leadership that God wants us to have. We prefer the ones, we, just, we don't exactly want a good governance. We just want a governance that we can, you know, identify with. We just want the person in government to be one of our own people so that we too can have our own access to the place, our own access to the things that has been stored in the siege instead of freedom and deliverance, instead of breakthrough for the entire city. You see, the Syrians are not outsiders. The Syrians are also of the same, uh, they are also of the same commonwealth with, with, with us. The Syrians that are besieging us, they are part and parcel of us. They are our family members that are in politics, that are in government. They are our family members that are pastors and leaders in our churches. They are leaders in every area that, that, that are involved in the process that is enriching them at the expense of the people of God. And God is permitting it because even we, the people of God that are in this famine, we are also a rebellious nation. We have refused the covenant of God. We have refused the prophets of God. We are turning down, breaking down every altar of God. We are not interested in the way God wants things done. We have our own ideas on how we want to do things. And we are pursuing them with all of our hearts. We are not interested in how God wants things to be. We just want to do things our own way. And so God has permitted this famine. Has permitted these troubles and that we are being led by the least of us. We are being led by the least of us. And those taking advantage of our commonwealth are also part of us. If they were outsiders, it would have been easier. And even if outsiders were taken away from our commonwealth, they are doing so under the cover of the night. They are doing so under the cover of darkness. They are not doing so in broad daylight. The truth is that whichever side, wherever it is that we are standing, are we winning and yet we are just a rod of destruction? Or we are losing and we, we are losing because we are in rebellion. You see, most times our victories can be counterproductive. I see, I keep saying bringing this, this alignment to, to, you know, in all the sessions that we have on black and white. Because this session is to clear things so that nobody will hold God responsible for what is happening in, in our lives. No one can hold God responsible for what is happening in Nigeria. No one can hold God responsible for what will happen in Nigeria. When we finish voting today, in fact, we have been making those decisions from even the primaries. Because from the primaries, we have limited the number of people that God can use to only these three that are now available to us, or these four. These four horsemen that are galloping to nothing. They are galloping to nothing. No, no, no useful value. Do you understand? But you see, the truth is that with the decisions, the choices that we are making, how we are choosing ourselves over God, how we are choosing the things that God, you know, does does not God, that God does not exactly want, is determining the reality of our situations as it is. The victories that we have sometimes are counterproductive to the kingdom of God. We are sometimes supposed to be on the we are all the time supposed to be on the Lord's side, not taking sides on any trivial matter. What is the Lord's side? Where are you standing? Elijah said, I stand. I said, surely as the Lord lives, before whom I stand. When Gabriel came to deliver all his messages, he said, I am Gabriel. I stand before the Lord. Are you standing before the Lord? Am I standing before the Lord? Or I am taking a stand in either of the winning or the losing side? Am I taking a stand with the losing side that is in rebellion? 
or I'm taking a win side with the winning side that is profiting and prospering at the expense of God's covenanted people, upon both whom the judgment of God will come because God does not take sides, he takes over. You see, this is where I'm coming today. Elijah was commanded to do three things. He was asked, number one, to anoint Aziel as the king of Syria. He was asked to anoint Jehu as the king of Israel. He was anoint, asked to anoint uh, Elisha as a prophet in his place. Well, Elijah did not anoint Elisha. In fact, he even discouraged Elisha. I'm coming somewhere this morning. And I'm speaking to the part of those who have the prophetic responsibility to help us as a people in this quagmire that we are in. In that we either the winning or the losing side, neither of them is accurate in the presence of God. You see, how is it possible that both the winning and the losing side, that neither of them are doing the are exercise exercising the full will of God? That neither of them is actually in, in, in bringing pleasure to God, both the winning and the losing side. Because God does not take pleasure in punishing his own children. God does not take pleasure in afflicting his own people. Neither does God take pleasure in destroying a people that he owns, you know, by using them as a weapon for destruction. Neither God does not take pleasure in neither the winning nor the losing. What God is interested in is obedience, total obedience to what he commands because he lives in eternity and responds and relates to us in time. And therefore, everything that he says has ramifications beyond what our eyes can see. Elijah did not appoint Elisha. He even discouraged Elisha from following him. Let's read that. First Kings in chapter 19. First Kings in chapter 19. Immediately after God spoke to him and told him to anoint Elisha. Verse 19. First Kings 19 verse 19. He goes, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yokes. Interestingly, the first person that he will find was the prophet. It wasn't even the two kings. It's the prophet. You see, I keep saying to people, you see, when anything is wrong, the first person that God will send into the middle of the matter is a prophet. He doesn't send apostles. He sends prophets. He sends a, a proceeding word by his prophets. And when that word had come, after the prophet, the apostles will come, patterned and called according to that proceeding word to fulfill it. They will be separated unto that preceding word to fulfill it. You see, he saw the prophet first. You see, and he departed from there, found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plying with twelve yokes of oxen before him, and he was on the twelfth. Then Elijah passed him and threw his mantle on him. Is that anointing him? He threw his mantle on him. Hmm. And he left the oxen. Elijah, Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? Go back, go away from here. What did I do to you? Did I ask you to come? Go away from here. <laughs> so Elisha turned back from him because he was a prophet. He didn't want to be disobedient. So Elisha walked away from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh 
and using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. He started to follow him. The boy followed him anyway. The prophet did not anoint him, but the boy followed him anyway. You see? Number two, Elijah did not anoint Jehu in also. He said he should go ahead and anoint the king for Israel. He did not anoint the king for Israel. Elisha, who came after him, had to be the one who sent one of the sons of the prophet to do so. In case you don't believe me, 2 Kings chapter 9. 2 Kings in chapter 9. 2 Kings in chapter 9. I'm reading from verse 1 to 3. And Elisha, the prophet, called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hands and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrived at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among the asso his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus said the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. Even the, even the king of Israel, the prophet did not anoint. It was the man who came after him that had to go and send a son of prophet, not even Elisha. He sent a son of prophet to go and pour the oil on his head and after pouring the oil on his head, the guy had better run for his life. He should not wait. Interesting. Number three, Elisha didn't even anoint Aziel either. The king of Syria that God told him to anoint, he did not anoint him too. He will later speak to Azel, Elisha, the man who came after him, will later speak to Azel later. And he took, and because of what he said to him, Azel took the matter into his hands and began to execute the second kings in chapter 8. If you read second kings in chapter 8, from verse 7, he says, Then Elisha went to Damascus and heard that the king of Syria was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God had come here. And, he, and the king said to Aziel, Take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God. And inquire of the Lord, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So Aziel went to meet him and took a present with him of every good things of Damascus, 40 camels, forty camel load. And he came out and stood before him and said, You son of, you, your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, your son, your son, Ben-Hadad, the king of that nation is a son to the prophet. How, how wonderful would it have been if God, if they had both listened to God, if they both are standing on the side of God, if both they are standing with God, you know, in the matter, and God will have forged an alliance out of the two of them. He would have forged a relationship with two of them that would be so strong. Instead of them fighting against each other, they will be fighting together at the battle of the Lord. But no. Your son Ben Adad, king of Syria, had sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? And Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You shall surely recover. Elisha said, Go and tell him, You will surely recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will surely die. You know, these prophets, you know, they, they understood the intricacies of the words that they spoke. He had to tell him what he will tell the king. But he told him what God has said, which is that he will surely die. Go and tell the king that the king will survive. But that king go is dying. <laughs> he will surely die. Then he said, I mean, he, might, he, might, he, will be, he might be dying of something else, but he will die. 
he will not be dying of the disease which he had come to because the question was he had asked him to come and find out shall i recover from this disease okay so you will recover from the disease but he didn't say to him that his death was not going to come by the disease the death was going to come by another way then he set his countenance and in a stare until he was ashamed and the man of God wept. That is Elisha. He wept. And Azel said, Why is my Lord weeping? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their stronghold you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and you will dash their children and rip open their women with child. So Azel said, But what is this? What is your servant, a dog? That he should do this gross thing. Even Aziel cannot fathom why he will be doing this kind of thing. Is he a dog that he will be doing this kind of gross, gross things? And Elijah answered, Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. You know, people used to say that it was Elijah who had told Elisha what to do. And so Elisha was executing it. He commanded the anointing of Jehu because Elijah spoke to him. Or he's now speaking to Aziel because, no, no, no. He said, because the Lord told me, because the Lord the Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. The Lord has shown me that you become Syria. I'm reading from 2 Kings chapter 8, man. I'm reading from 2 Kings in chapter 8, verse 7. 2 Kings chapter 8 in verse 7. You know, and, and I'm now in verse 14. You know, he says, uh, for he told in verse 13, so Azel said, But what is your servant, a dog? And I should do this gross thing. And Elijah answered, The Lord has shown me that you will become king over Israel. Then he departed from Elijah and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elijah say to you? And he answered, He told me that you will surely recover. Of course, he will recover. You will surely recover. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face so that he died. And Isaiah reigned in his place. He kills the king. He committed murder. He had to take things into his own hands to become the king. He was meant to be anointed by Elijah. Second Kings 8, man. Thank you. He, he was meant to be anointed by the king. I mean, sorry, by Elijah. Jehu too was also meant to be anointed by Elijah. Not by son of the prophet. Hazel was supposed to be anointed by Elijah. If he had been anointed by, if these people had been anointed by Elijah, they might have been taught, you know, might have been commanded by the way of the Lord that would have brought order, that would have restored, you know, what was going wrong in these nations. They would have, under the leadership of the same prophet, received a word from God and they would have done better than it is. But because these things were left undone by the prophet, certain things went wrong. The unattended gaps led to terrible experiences of the people of God. Who are now in rebellion anyway? Are we God's people standing on the enemy's ground against God because of rebellion? Or are we opportunists being used as rod of correction, profiteering from the people's misery? Which one are you? Are you standing on the side of God or you are one of these two people? You are the Syrian winning on the winning side or you are the Israelites on the losing side? But you see, God is coming with judgment, both for Syria and for Israel. God is coming with judgment, both for the ones that are taking advantage of and the ones taking advantage of them. God is coming with judgment, both to those who are in famine and to those who, is, who, are, who are the people causing their famine. 
He's coming in judgment. And when he would have judged both of them, his glory will be revealed in the earth. You see, that man that was called Aziel, that man that was the Syrian who was responsible for the siege, who was responsible for all the trouble that they were experiencing in, in, in Israel, that man, his name actually means God, one who sees God. His name actually means in another in another render in Hebrew means God has seen. God sees. It means it became a tool in the hand of God to respond to what it is that God was seeing. You know, it became a tool of judgment on Israel and became a murderer to gain what he was already spoken of God to him. You see, the Syrian side was a side that was getting whatever they want to get by every means. They can kill even their own uh, their own mentors to become what it is they want they need to become. They can take on anything. They can do practically anything to get what it is they want to get. They must win at all costs. You see, they must win at all costs. They will do anything that they have to do, you know, to get what has already been spoken by God of them. You know, the end of the rod of judgment is destruction. If if you are on the winning side. And you are the one taking advantage of everything that is going on around now. The end of that is judgment. For those who are the ones behind the famine that is going on in Nigeria right now. Even though Nigerians may deserve what is going on. Because we will not obey God. We will not do what is right. We will be bribed to choose someone that is not supposed to be our leaders. We don't, when we have received money, we don't care what it is that is next. Just give me the money. If it's those who are serving don't care about the service, they just want the money. We really don't care about righteousness in any form. Truth is not of any value to us. We prefer falsehood. We like lies. We kill our prophets. We kill those who tell us the truth. We destroy those who are looking for our good. We, we make a public shame out of the people that are helping us. Those who are interested in our future. That is the kind of nation that we are. But you see, despite that rebellious state, God is still interested in us. And God is going to bring redemption to us like he did in that second, second Kings chapter 6 and chapter 7. Where the prophet came and commanded that by this time tomorrow, a, a measure of barley will be sold for two shekels. And God made the people in the camp of Syria to hear the sound of war. They heard the sound of chariots and horses and they ran away. In the nation Nigeria, this nation that we're in, in the days that we're about to enter into, that we have already entered into, even from today, those who are responsible for our famine, those who are responsible for the troubles that we're experiencing, they are going to hear the sound of war from God. They are going to hear the sound, like the sound of chariots and the sound of horses, and they will flee. Many of them will run, you know, with, and not knowing what it is that is pursuing them. But you see, the victories over the people that are causing the troubles in this nation is not the end of the matter. The people themselves are in rebellion. The people themselves don't want God. We, the people ourselves, do not desire God. Even me, this tiny little preacher, or this tiny little guy speaking the word of God on this small platform, the day I bring the truth, I will see people come up on these social media. I will see them come up on Instagram or Telegram. And the moment I start speaking the truth, they don't like to hear. I just see them disappearing. They just start leaving. <laughs> this morning now, I've had more than six people on, on Telegram, I'm sorry, on, on Instagram, they left. The moment they hear that this one that this guy is saying this morning is a very hard one, they left. They don't want the truth. We do not desire the truth that can change us. 
We don't want to change. We just want to be a, a part, you know, we just want to benefit from the error that is going on. As long as we can benefit from the malady and the error that is ongoing, we don't care about change. We don't even want change. I'd listen to so many people tell me about the candidates that are coming out for the presidency. And you need to listen to some of the things that some of them say. And you wonder, what kind of nation are we in? What kind of people are we? Do we have some kind of amnesia or something? Do we forget so easily? I mean, this 4,000, this 10,000 that you're going to be given is going to feed you for the next six, I mean, eight years or next four years, whichever one you want to believe. But you see, you'll be hearing people make narratives for people that are confirmed corrupt people, confirmed murderers at the expense of God's people. You know, taking advantage of all the loopholes in business, taking advantage of all the loopholes in the economy, taking advantage of all the loopholes in this framework of the nation to enrich yourself instead of enriching the nation. You know, taking, you know, stealing the things that belong to the nation, you know, cuddling it and putting it in your own country like the Syrians were doing when they besieged Israel. That is not success. That is a disaster that is about to take place. Because when you will hear a sound from heaven, a sound, the sound of the chariot and the horses of the host of heaven, you will run as if something is pursuing you because God is said to deliver his people. But even the people that are in famine, are you sure that you are not in famine because of rebellion to God? Are you sure that trouble, you are not in famine of good leadership because you have refused to do the will of God? Are you sure these things are not your, our experiences because we don't want God, we just want gold? We don't want God. We just want the, we don't want the heart of God. We just want the hands of God. God is ready to give to you anything that you desire. But the question is, that thing that you desire, are you sure that is what you need? Are you sure that thing that you are desiring is not going to destroy you? Are you sure that you are not in rebellion to God? That is why your life is in famine. Are you sure that your victory is not because God is just giving you an opportunity to bring punishment to his people? When the judgment of God comes, are you sure your own judgment will not be worse? The word that I brought to us this morning is that the end of every rod of judgment is destruction and a reversal of their legacies. If you read in 2 Kings chapter 13 from verse 22, check on 2 Kings chapter 13 in verse 22. 2 Kings chapter 13 in verse 22. And Azel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz. But the Lord was gracious to them. That's to Israel. They were in rebellion. God was the one judging them. But God was still gracious to them. God was gracious to them and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is a covenant-keeping God. You know, I mentioned it that people taking advantage of the people that are custodians of God's covenant. You are a custodian of God's covenant. If anybody cheats you, that person cannot go scot-free. It's a matter of time. God, the covenant-keeping God, will fight on your behalf. That person is going to be visited by God. It's a matter of time. But you see, before that visitation, how what will your situation be like? Are you in that affliction because of rebellion? Let's check it. You see, and because of the covenant of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and will not yet destroy them or cast them from his presence. Now, verse 34, 24. Now Hazel, king of Syria, died. Then Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his place. And Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, recaptured all the, from the hands of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazel, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, 
his father by war. It means everything he accomplished was reversed. All of his legacy was reversed. See, I, came, I come this morning to announce to those who are taking advantage of the people of God, those who are taking advantage of the situations and are amassing to themselves that which is supposed to be the commonwealth of the people, I announce to you that every legacy that you are building with it, it will eventually be returned, it will, it will be reversed. Such legacies do not stand. It will not stand. It will be reversed back to the same people that you took them from. You see, in the season that is coming ahead is going to reverse everything that you build with this wealth, we build with these things that you have come and this advantage that they take a, uh, that you take against God's people. Everything that is gathered as legacy in it will be reversed. You will soon start seeing people selling what is so expensive for next to nothing because they just need to sell it and they don't even know why they are selling it. Some of them will be on sick bed and they will sell everything to make sure the man leaves. And after he has sold everything to people that owned it, he will die. You see, the judgment of God is coming on both sides. The people of God are already experiencing their own judgment in the famine that they are experiencing. But that, those of you taking advantage of the people of God, when your own judgment comes, it is going to be worse. Everything was returned back to the people that was taken from them. Three times, Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. It was returned back to the owner. Every legacy of such will be returned back to the owner. The word that I bring to you this morning is that we all review where we are standing. Especially in moments like this, especially in our nation, Nigeria, and every other nations of the earth. Review where you are standing. And peace will be yours if you are standing on the side of righteousness. Review where you are standing. Don't stand in the stand, don't stand with the ones taking advantage of the people. Don't stand with the rebellious people either. Stand before the Lord. Stand in the presence of the Lord. Stand in the very place where God had ordained you to be. In the center of the council of God, where you are neither for you for this, neither for any people or against them, you but you are on the Lord's side. You see, it was Joshua who asked that angel that visited him. He said, Who are you? Are you for us or against us? And the angel said to him, No, I am not for you, neither am I against you. I I am for the Lord. I'm standing for the Lord. I want you and I to be able to get to that place where we can say we are for the Lord. In every matter, we stand with God. In every matter, it is what God desires that we stand for. And today, even on the election day, as we go out to vote, you will search in the depths of your spirit and you will receive a word from heaven on who to vote for. You will be voting for the person that you know that can you can that will bring them to pass that which God has spoken. You will not be voting for somebody because he's popular. You will not be voting for someone because their monies have reached you. You will not be voting for someone because they have been trying for a long time. You will not be voting for someone because they claim they have experience. Please, what experience did Daniel have before he became the, the president in, 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 in Babylon? Has he been president anywhere before? Was he not an Enoch? Was he not taken in captivity to, to Babylon? What experience did Joseph have other than that he had been in charge of the resources of his master, Potiphar? Now he's in charge of a whole nation and they the same things. So please, today, let the spirit of the living God decide for you what it is that you should do. Don't stand on anybody's side. Be on nobody's side. Don't be on the side of the masses and don't be on the side of the people taking advantage of the masses. 
be on the Lord's side. And as you and I do that this morning, the Spirit of the living God will position us so that when all the judgment has come, when all this dust that is up right now is settled, you and I will still be standing in the presence of the Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus. Can we lift up our voice this morning and pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to stand in your presence. I will be standing in your presence. I'll be here worshipping you. I'll be here standing in your presence. Lord, nothing will take me to take sides anywhere. Nothing will make me take side anywhere. I will not be a part of a rebellious nation that is under judgment. Neither will I be a part of a people that is a rod of uh, uh, correction to the people of God. Oh God, I want to be on your side doing your will, declaring your counsel. Bringing hope even in the middle of calamity. Bringing help in the middle of despondency. Bringing righteousness even in the middle of perversion. Lord, I pray that you will help me. You will make me stand in the mighty name of Jesus. You will cause me to stand in the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. We are going to ask that God will energize us. He will give us enough strength to reach him. Not even strength to do anything. Strength to, to approach him. Strength to be able to speak to him. Strength to be able to stand in his presence. Elijah, as strong as he was, was too weak to stand. He needed to give him food twice. Arise, heat, for the journey ahead of you is far. Arise, and by the strength of that journey, 40 days and 40 nights, he went all the way to the mountain of God. He went all the way to the place where he can encounter God. Ask God to strengthen you so that you might come into him. Ask him to strengthen you so that you might come to the place that he has appointed for you. Ask him to strengthen you so that you might enter into that destiny that he has given to you. Ask him to strengthen you so that you might come to the place where he can freely communicate with you. Because until you are standing in the presence of the Lord, that which you are supposed to know, you will not know. That which you are supposed to be, you cannot be. That which you are supposed to do, you will not be able to do. Ask God to help you this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus. Father, help me that I may stand, O oh God. Help me, strengthen me that I may journey into your presence. Help me that I may journey into your presence. Strengthen me on the inner man. Strengthen me even in my mind. Strengthen me even in my body that I may run and may get to your presence in the strength that you will give to me that I may be able to stand in your presence and bring restoration to my world and bring re restoration to my world and bring help to my world in the time of need and bring your word to my world in the time of scarcity in the mighty name of Jesus and bring righteousness in the middle of perversion in the mighty name of Jesus we thank you faithful father for in Jesus mighty name we have prayed our father and our God we are grateful this morning thank you for your word the devil failed in every way he tried for us not to be able to have this conversation today but we glorify you because you are God above all things. And you, you, you rule and reign over every situation. We bless your name. Lord, we have prayed this morning. We have looked at your word. You are asking us to neither be a, a rebellious nation or be a, a, a rod or a weapon in your hands, O oh God, to afflict your people. Because both when judgment comes, <laughs> both of them will feel the hand of God. The nation is already feeling your hands right now. The famine is everywhere. The trouble is everywhere. And those who are, who are the cause of these things are somewhere. And your judgment is about to take place on them also. We ask that when all the dust is settled, when everything is done, we will be standing. Not standing on anybody's side. We will be standing in your presence. In the mighty name of Jesus. 
And from there we will be the, the conduit of solution to our world. From there we'll be the conduit of help to our world. We'll be the conduit of, of, of everything that is heavenly and eternal to our world. In the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen and amen and amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for coming out this morning. And for those of you that are staying on, God bless you. You know, like I keep saying, last week Thursday, uh, it was, it was, uh, you're welcome, man. You're welcome. You're welcome, man. Uh, last week, last week, last week Thursday, uh, it was refuge in terms of uncertainty. Everybody came out. This whole place was loaded with people. <laughs> Today, the thing is, where are you standing? Nobody showed up. You know, or rather, few people showed up. Only those who are called by God showed up. Not nobody. Wonderful people are in this room this morning. I said this to you that we are a, we are a people. We are the reason some of the things that are happening to us are happening. We must love the truth. Please make it a point of duty to love the truth, to value the truth, to stay for the truth. You know, even if it is not convenient, stay with it. You will find out that everything you build will be enduring. Your legacies will not be reversed. And men will come to realize that the way you pursued God is the only way to go. But the message of God prevail for you and I. As we go for elections today, please let's conduct ourselves peacefully. Let's avoid every fight. Let's not be an accessory to any violence. Uh, uh, the Lord will help us in the name of Jesus. That which God will do, He will do. Uh, you know, I can say this to us in this room today, this afternoon. Let me just give you a bit of some of the things that God has said to me about Nigeria. You see, this election is going to be an interesting one. Uh, let me read from my journal. Maybe that will be useful. You know, uh, one second. Uh, okay. You see, the, the, the counsel of the wicked, the counsel of the wicked, will find expression in this election. Let me just spell it out the counsel of the wicked the counsel of the wicked we find expression and acceptance we find expression and acceptance in this election still god is going to use that to bring the hearts of men and women by judgment to himself what is going to happen is not going to be what most of you are desiring and it's not going to be the will of God either. But you see, it is going to be a tool in the hand of God. It's going to be a tool in the hand of God to bring his people back to himself. To bring his people back to the place where they are supposed to be. It is going to restore Jesus, restore purity and righteousness back to the church. It is going to bring restoration to our nation but you see it is not by development it is going to start with judgment and burning it's going to start with things we don't like uh i would say more than that you see nigeria is in god's icu right now intensive care unit that's where we are right now those of you who are familiar with some of the things that god has said through me about Nigeria from 2012-2011-2012. Then I, re I released a book that was practically the prophecy that God gave to me about Nigeria. 
that Nigeria is having palpitation in his heart. And that palpitation in his heart, the blood pressure that is in his heart, is leading to headaches in his head, which is the leadership. The palpitation in his heart, which is the church, is going to lead to headaches in the head, which is the leadership of the nation. And that will produce pain and discomfort in the entire body of the nation, which is the citizenry. I wrote that since 2011-2012. Now, Nigeria is in the ICU. We are in intensive care unit. I wrote in that prophecy that time that if we don't return to God so that he can heal us quickly of the palpitations in our heart, which is a responsibility for the church, and the church did not do it, that if we don't, God will have to be forced to send an ambulance and bring Nigeria to his ICU so that he can perform surgery on it so that it will not die altogether. We are already in that ICU right now. We are already in that ICU right now. We have been moved to the God's ICU with an emergency in an ambulance. That's where we are right now. And let me tell you, all the intercessions that everybody is doing, intercede, intercede, let's pray for Nigeria, let's do prayer watch. They are just wasting their time. Because it is not the prayer that we needed. What we needed to do was to have done the will of God. The prayers no longer count. I'm being honest with you. They should save it. To save Nigeria, God will need to operate on Nigeria right now. And that is through a cutting away. There is a malignancy that God needs to cut away. There is a, a wrong growth, legitimate growth that is not the right growth that is going on in our body, in our heart, in our body, that God will have to do an open heart surgery on us. And that is going to start from the church. And then move from the church to the leadership of the nation. And then the restoration we are looking for will happen to the people in the city. That is the word of the Lord. That is the Lord's side to stand. Go and vote, but know that whoever it is that you vote, the result that is going to come out at the end of this election, it will not be what you are looking for. And it will gain acceptance. People will quickly change their voice and accept what it is that comes. But that is in itself a rod of judgment. But that, at the end of the day, the Lord will be glorified. This is the word of God that I brought to you this morning. May the Lord help you and I. May we continually remain in the presence of God, standing in His presence. In the mighty name of Jesus. Do have a wonderful day. Please go out and vote, and the Lord will be with you. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you.